Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. <laughs> yeah, nothing to talk about is right. You know, it's interesting, and it's funny how the latest news usually ends up guiding us in terms of starting this conversation. Uh, we, we we just heard about this attack in Kiryat Arba. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. Uh, a Palestinian disguised as a photojournalist, and this is overstating the obvious, but I'd like to get your reaction to this in terms of the challenge that Israeli security has at this time and that our brothers and sisters in Israel have at this time. Y- you never know who's who anymore. Uh, dressed up as journalists, God forbid dre- they could be dressed up as IDF soldiers, they could be dressed up as Orthodox Jews who you never suspect are standing next to you ready to, God forbid, stab you or, or you know, murder you in some other way. Uh, it might be overstating the obvious, but this is just one of the challenges that Israeli security and our brothers and sisters are going through at this time. Absolutely, and it's one of the things that makes this different. Uh, we talked about it uh, last week also, that the, the nature of this uh, conflict, uh, the violence that Israel is experiencing is different in that it's not centrally organized. You don't have a central target. You, you can't pick up intelligence in the same way as you might when it is an organized effort uh, with messages and, and uh, orders being given from different uh, leaders or from a central headquarters. Here you, you have it popping up uh, spontaneously for the most part, inspired by incitement and lies and distortions, whether about uh, the events on the Temple Mount, which are complete lies, started by Abbas himself, even at the United Nations, and continuing even until the last 24 hours when he held up that picture of a Palestinian youth that he said to the world was killed. And said, yeah, executed, uh, right. Uh, of executing right. Uh, him, when in fact he's in a hospital being treated and acknowledged that he was uh, out to kill Jews, and there are pictures of, of the, quote, Palestinian youth, with, and you could see the knives in their hands as they went out to, um, to carry out these attacks. So that's one, is that, the, that when you have the Internet, which can be a blessing but also a curse, serving as the vehicle for incitement, for instruction. Uh, I saw one site which said, shows how to stab in different places to cause greater damage and lesser damage. The... Uh, second, you have the international community's reaction, which only inspires them more because the blame on Israel, for one, about violating the holy place, even in the State Department uh, spokesperson Kirby seemed to link it to the change in the status quo when everybody can acknowledges that there is no change. And then, of course, they backed off and they issued a clarification saying he didn't suggest, mean to suggest that there was uh, a change at the status quo on the, the Temple Mount, by the status quo meaning that the Muslims have rights and the Jews have much more limited rights yeah. uh, there. Then uh, linkages to the building of settlements that Secretary Kerry, I mean, just really ridiculous, and then later saying that they, they keep retracting it. The problem is that once you put it out and, and the Palestinians see that they're right. gaining... And, and those linkages, by the way, equal justification. Don't forget. I mean, not that you would forget, but you always remind us of that. The linkages you know, usually are perceived, if not being stated, as justification for the cause. That's precisely the point. Exactly. And, that it, it, and when they feel that they're winning the public relations battle, that is an added uh, incentive. Remember that Abbas timed this for the U.N. General Assembly session, and 
the danger is that he, for him, is that he can lose control of this, and he could be the victim. It but can Hamas, it can feed, you know, uh, it's a genie that you might not be able to put back in the bottle. When the Bar Association of the PA, uh, they, before yesterday, honored somebody who had just killed two Israelis, a lawyer who had killed two Israelis in, uh, in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, but, but Malcolm, I'm sorry for interrupting, but you just said he timed it for the UN General Assembly, and then earlier you said that, that these messages and orders are being given, or, or messages and orders are not being given. It's not a coordinated effort like that. A- at what point do we decide or figure out that, in fact, there really is an organized effort coming from the top? There's a difference. I'm talking about the the comments that he made and the assertions he and others then picked up about Al-Aqsa's under siege, rallied to the defense of Al-Aqsa, which is, of course, the mosque on the top of the Temple Mount. Um, That was the work of of Abbas. Abbas did not then give orders or have an infrastructure of unleashing terror. What he does is he incites and then... You have imams, you have the Palestinian media, others who pick up these themes. And essentially, I think that they largely lose control of after that point. And as opposed to the intifadas, when you had very broad spread spread, uh, involvement here, the involvement is, in fact, quite limited. It's a very small percentage of people, and and it's happening in one incident in... in, uh, in Ranana, then you can have another incident in Beersheba, and another incident somewhere in the north. It isn't like then when you had a popular uprising, and one could say it was organized, and you, could, you knew they were, who the leaders were and, and how people were involved in it. Clearly Hamas is, is uh, playing a role in it now, and the, the, um, the nature of this, though, is, is different. And it's why the failure to condemn clearly is, uh, is an additional provocation and incitement for people. And when they see Israel getting blamed, when the media constantly and, and Western officials, including sometimes American officials in this week, in, in inexplicable statements and of which, which they backed off on, and yesterday there were much stronger statements of condemnation, um, this, this is a component of it. We can't, you can't separate it, and especially now the role of social media, which did not exist. Most of those who are right, but today, you know, we're not in, we're not alive at the time. Correct, but even pre-social media, you could tell us historically that incitement really worked well through those avenues as well. Yes, but, but uh, the people who are involved today were not alive then. Most right. of them are younger than uh, are are too young to have lived through the intifada. No, I understand. I'm just trying to make the point that they really did well with incitement even back then. Today, you're right; it's faster, obviously, and. And you know, and uh, you know, they can get the word out much quicker because of social media. But I don't want to blame social media for for this escalation. We need to know who to blame, and, and of course, that's the leadership. That's you know, it's a tool. It's not the right. source. Right. It's a tool, but right. it is a game changer. Right. When you when you think about it, because these these people and they call them lone wolf, they call them other things, but they're united by one thing. They were all raised in the culture of hate. Right. They were brought up to hate Jews. And to, to revere terrorists, as, as has been said, they are, are fed a steady diet of animosity in their schools and all sorts of uh, media and medium, like the, like the mosque, like the Palestinian television, statements of their leaders. And through the years of exposure to this, they have become radicalized, not because they're necessarily members of a group in this case. That's the point. And, and right. frankly, they deserve a better leadership. And then the leadership 
who always get a buy because Abbas is better than the alternatives and all right. the other lines that we have heard all along, and it's not necessarily always true that he's better than the alternative. Right. The, the pressure, though, not being brought to bear on him, gives him license to continue. They don't condemn the acts. Today they condemned the attack on Kevriose because the reaction in the world was obviously, you know, uh, one of shock to, to what happened, even though it's happened, uh, yeah, it's happened before. several times before. All right, so the U.S. comment about excessive force, uh, Kerry's justifying the actions with the whole settlement thing. You're saying that those statements from the U.S. are stepping back a bit. They are, they are trying to cover over some of those uh, in the latter part of the week. Yes. And the U.N., where, is, where are those statements of condemnation? Well, the, secretary, the uh, statement attributed to the spokesman for the Secretary General wasn't his comment uh, by itself was, uh, again, simply outrageous, and we've been in touch with them. And they, they did issue subsequent statements about the, the violence against Israelis. But you know the climate there, and we know what the realities are. So no. That, to me, is less significant than what American and British and French and other officials uh, from the Western countries say, uh, because these are the allies of Israel, these are countries with whom the relationship is obviously very critical. And Secretary will be going probably to the to Middle East to, to uh, get involved in the situation. Um, and the real test, though, there's, there's one target, and that's see if Abbas is serious about clamping down, using the capacities that he has, because when he wants to calm the streets, he can. Yeah. By the way, you alluded to this earlier. The government of Israel has really gone out of its way to emphasize that, th- that there's been no change in the status quo in the Temple Mount, that Christians and Jews are not allowed to pray there, that only Muslims may, and that that uh, Christians and Jews can only visit at specific times and not at Muslim holidays, and that they're not allowed to enter the mosque, etc. But somebody who's really close to the situation uh, sent me an email and said this is completely false because the status quo on the Temple Mount really has changed. The status quo was that Jews were allowed free access to visit, may not pray, but they could visit freely, and over the past six months, Religious-looking Jews have been discriminated against, made to wait hours in the hot sun, often turned away without ever being allowed in. When they are, it's only in a very small group of less than 10, and the next group can't enter until the first one leaves. And once they're there, and we've seen the videos, Malcolm, they're constantly attacked, mostly verbally, but sometimes even physically. So yes, the government of Israel, you'd have to admit, has changed the status quo in the Temple Mount. Yes, I alluded to that. Yes, I, just emphasizing your point, correct. And, by the way, Christians are not allowed to pray up there. And if you right. look at what Abbas said, he didn't just say that the Temple Mount is ours, that there never were temples. He also said that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is ours, meaning his. Oh, and well. the, the He's like the New York Times. He tosses all those historical questions out there. But, but, he, but it's a reputation of Christianity, not just of Judaism. Right. You know, cutting off our ties to the land is a political move. In this case, you know, he who he, he always claims to be a defender of Christian rights even though uh, uh, the PA has been a violator of, that, uh, of their rights, uh, is here now asserting the same kind of, of historical denial. And, of course, the New York Times story was a simple outrage. Well, that was insane. All right, um, uh, here's, the, uh, here's the big question, of course. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I don't want to call it a big question and call too much attention to it because, after all, you have to go to shul tomorrow, and I don't want you to have any trouble from anybody. So I'll say it very quietly. It must frustrate you when religious leaders in our community try to tie this violence to what's happening on Harabayat. That must be very frustrating to you. It, 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 
you know, that there's sometimes that uh, we have to remember the adage, that wise people are careful with their words. And not because they mean bad, but, but because, you know, when you look at cause and effect, you have to be very careful in making such judgments. Yeah, no question about it. And today, those comments go viral. Maybe some of the rabbis don't realize that the, basically the entire world hears those comments almost the moment they're said. Um, all right, what, what, what's going to happen now? What is, uh, you know, it's funny. Because it, it is frustrating because it seems to me that if you would bring this situation, what's happening in the major cities in Israel and other areas, to, let's say, I don't know, a leader of the NYPD. Let's say people from Israel, authorities met with Bill Bratton and said, here's our situation. People are randomly being stabbed in the street. I have a feeling he'd have a solution, that if this was happening in New York, the NYPD under his leadership would know how to handle it, how much how much um, disproportionate manpower it might take to go ahead and quell the problem. Uh, with that in mind, that there are solutions that exist, what is the government of Israel going to do at this point? Is there going to be a point very soon where people are going to feel they can walk the streets safely? I think people are back in, in the streets and, and in shops. Uh, the reports I got during the night, I spoke to people in Tel Aviv and Yerushalayim early in the morning and during the night, and they uh, indicated to me that uh, things are beginning to turn around, and uh, Mickey Rosenfeld, the chief inspector, uh, confirmed that. It's not back to where it was, and it's not that at night people uh, chill and go out to, to alone, but it's slowly coming back, uh, and the, uh, the fact is that we do consult with uh, law enforcement officials in other places, uh, but you see in Europe there's no control over the violence that is being perpetrated by the new immigrants, by, you know, Islamist-inspired uh, youth who have carried out all sorts of attacks. Remember Toulouse? Remember all these other cases? I mean, there are thousands of them each year in, in Europe, but they don't get the same notice, and it's not, you know, they're not held to account when they respond to terrorist attacks. Right, but when it's, when it's an epidemic in the span of days, one would think the crackdown would be a little different. But look at now, they, they brought in thousands of soldiers who are stationed in all over, around Yerushalayim, the entrances, there are metal detectors, there are other steps that are taken. But I think the, the, the reason I started off in talking about the spontaneous nature and the difference between this and past efforts is that it's very hard to trace it. Israel has very good intelligence. Uh, I could tell you just the, uh, how many cases were, were caught of a, a police dog that detected one of, of uh, really miraculous sometimes uh, discoveries of plotted attacks. Um, a woman who was at a, had turned out gas canisters at a checkpoint that they just noticed was something suspicious. All of this just so overnight that the, there are many, many uh, that are detected and that are being caught. And the truth is that cooperation with the Palestinian Authority police continues, that they are helpful. They made a series of arrests. Uh, overnight of Hamas people who they claim were about to carry out stabbings. So there are limited capacities when people just want to rise up, when when you're going to have violence like this, like riots in in cities, so that that can pop up anywhere at any time. You can't have enough manpower to, to station people everywhere in every block, on every corner, at every institution where something could happen. It's yeah. not physically possible to 
head of uh, the Securité in France told me about the, the uh, foreign fighters, that it takes 10 uh, policemen to monitor each one. There are 1,500. He said, I don't have 15,000 people to assign to that. And therefore, it's, it's, you know, the things that might look obvious to us when you look at the situation on the ground is very different. Yeah, well, that's for sure. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I spoke with Ishai Fleischer off the air about an hour ago. He said that people are walking around Jerusalem with defiance, uh, with a positive attitude and with defiance. I thought it was an interesting choice of words. I think that's right, you know, because you would think people would be afraid, and they're saying, Dafka, they're not going give to give in to this. They're not going to turn this, let the streets be empty, and that's why people, we have to go visit tourists should not cancel trips, people going on business for their family visits or anything else, should not cancel. It's very important. Listen, it's not just Israel. Today, you know, now Russia has come under threat. Al-Qaeda said we're going to attack Russia in, in its own ground. We're going to kill one for one for anybody they kill, that the, the, um, uh, they, they plan to blow up the uh, Russian embassy in, in Syria. They have shot mortars. So you have the Free Syrian Army attacking them. You have Al-Qaeda attacking them. You have al-Nusra attacking them. Uh, everybody comes uh, under fire these days, and even a great power doesn't have the capacity uh, to do it. So people, by their actions and by sustaining investment, by making sure that uh, efforts are made to increase tourism, and we're working on various ideas with them, to, with the government and, and uh, the industry to make sure, because the, the impact isn't felt now. Yeah. People would book this weekend. Correct. Tell you the most hotels are full. It's Correct. What they plan for Hanukkah. Yeah. No question for the year end, for winter vacation, etc. And by the way, I made this point earlier in the week, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. And I'm not, you know, again, I'm not uh, trying to toss anybody into a dangerous situation, God forbid. But it, it is much easier for us as tourists to control our schedule and to make adjustments than for the regular person who needs, you know, who needs to adhere to their regular daily schedule, you know, to go on the bus and walk here and walk there in Israel. So as, as, as much as we encourage common sense and do what you need to do, safety and security, etc., we do have to remember that for us, as tourists, it's usually easier to deal with these issues. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I just want to point that out, and I'm sure you know what I mean. Also, I must point out, and I, to me, this is as important as all the news that we cover in this conversation. If I change the language of your statement, Malcolm, it's only because I don't want to ruffle some feathers out there. I want everyone to stay unified. I'm not in any way um, uh, criticizing the way you released this. I thought it was a great thing. Today... Through um, through tomorrow, this Shabbos, uh, you have gathered commitments from rabbis and leaders of religious Jewish movements from across the board under the umbrella of the Conference of Presidents and many other organizations as well who have joined on. And I wish some of the organizations that did not join on, in fact, would have. Uh, it is uh, it is a declaration of a Sabbath of solidarity, a solidarity Shabbos with Israel. We saw this on Wednesday after it was released, and I've been encouraging our listeners and the leadership in our community, synagogue presidents, rabbis, etc. No matter where they are along the religious spectrum, and no matter where they are along the political spectrum, to spend a few minutes this Shabbat, to spend a few minutes this Shabbos, anywhere from their congregation to their shtibel, 
making sure to keep our brothers and sisters in Israel in mind. I commend you for being able to put this together. It must have been a painstaking process knowing the Jewish people. So I thank you for it. So, first of all, thank you, and I know you did mention it, but I will tell you it was painless. It was done in a matter of two hours. There was no organization that didn't agree to it. We did not go to every organization. We tried to start with these so that we would have a universal declaration. We are not mixing between streams. Every stream will interpret it in the way that they want. Correct. Very smart. That they want. Right. But if we don't show that we can be unified at a time like this when Jewish blood is being shed, and and the point of this, which is part of, of many efforts, and you saw we put announcements out, we're, we're also working on ads that we placed in all the Israeli newspapers to say that we are united with them as well, that if we can't show at this time that we are united, and I'm telling you honestly, I wish I'd take more credit, as soon as we gave them the idea, as soon as we, we pursued it, everybody fell in line. And they, they people were looking for this kind of an opportunity to give expression. We have about a dozen different initiatives, including visits by high-profile people, including statements that you will see coming out with Congress coming back, including other measures that I don't want to talk about yet. But I will tell you that the response, Jews and non-Jews alike, has been immediate and, and very supportive. And this is, a, it, it, you know, people don't understand the significance, but it's been picked up all over Europe. It's been picked up in other parts of the world, and especially in Israel, which is the target. It's to let them know right. we're standing together with them. Look, I, the the fact that it's across the board religiously, and I would guess, based on the way you're talking, it's across the board politically as well, right, from left to right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's remarkable. And look, if you tell me that everybody who was approached is in, then I'm very glad to hear it, but... It, it seems that only certain organizations were highlighted because it seemed that others from certain um, backgrounds were not included. Maybe that was just a coincidence. If you're telling me that everybody who was approached is in, then that's wonderful news. So We only approach members of the conference, but I can tell you that other groups, the Uguda called Thursday for a day of solidarity. You had a Sifot, the gatherings taking place Thursday night, last Sunday night, uh, Shabbat in Haredi parts of the community. Uh, so the response is, I think, across the board, but we approached only the members, uh, the member organizations of the conference. Yeah. And they invited everybody else to join. And we can't go through all of modern Jewish history right now in this conversation, but in a lot of ways, th- th- there are eras, there are periods of time where this would not have happened, this type of cross-the-board support. And, th- and that, that's one of the reasons why I think you're so enthusiastic about it, because you know that it was not always like this. So, Right, and I would not have predicted that it would have gone... As smoothly, as smoothly as it did, and you know there are always nuances about you know when I some of the things that I say and others, uh, but I, I find that people are much more understanding because they're all frustrated. They they know how dangerous this is, and nobody has an easy solution. They all know that it has nothing to do with settlements, even those who are opposed to settlements. But I said that that's not the issue now. Right. This is clearly not related to any specific development of that kind. Uh. Sabbath of Solidarity, a Solidarity Shabbos, this Shabbos, everybody. Please, rabbis, adjust your words, and synagogue presidents, everybody else who gets an opportunity to address the crowd, please keep in mind our brothers and sisters in Israel. Let me mention again, 5 o'clock Times Square on Sunday, another opportunity to uh, express ourselves and to gather together. Just look for the Israeli flags in Times Square at 5 o'clock this coming 
Sunday. Uh, your reaction to the fact that, according to the President of the United States, the troops will not be home from Afghanistan uh, when he leaves office? It's not surprising. People who know the situation knew that uh, it, it would lead to a vacuum. They need these people for training. The situation there, as you know, is unstable. Taliban captured a, one of the regional capitals, and it's very active. And while the president cited this as a, one of the foreign policy victories, uh, I think a year ago, September, uh, I think today he would, he would not say so. And leaving the troops there, uh, something that, uh, that he criticized and others criticized, you know, this is a reality. The, what happens in Afghanistan obviously has broader ramifications. And uh, it's a question of, of also sending a message. And we are facing that challenge right now after Iran launched a ballistic missile, mm-hmm. complete violation of Security Council Resolution 2231, a violation, we believe, of the agreement, and says we're going to, we're not, Iran says openly, we're not going to honor the agreement, we're not going to abide by it. They, they are reading it. They believe that the West is so weak and that the reaction will be so timid that they can get away with it. They don't even wait till they got the money. They didn't wait uh, until the, the uh, majlis there was, simultaneous with the vote, perhaps linked that they wanted to show that uh, they're not succumbing and, 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 uh, to the Western enticements. And, and uh, Khomeini says, we're not going to have any talks. He banned any further uh, reaction. The French expressed great concern about the missile test. Of course, Israel did. Others did. Um, but it's in, and this has uh, the ability to carry a significant payload that can be very dangerous, 750 kilogram uh, payload, but more importantly, has uh, more advanced guidance systems on it. And, and you know, the other countries in the region, Saudi Arabia, which is under siege from Iran, and how Iran has become so much more aggressive in every country in the region, against Bahrain, against in Syria, for supporting Hamas and Hezbollah, uh, with the Houthis. I mean, everything across the board. And their economy supposedly has not in- improved yet. They have all this money to allocate, and to, and because of the Russian involvement, obviously in Syria has bolstered their uh, their prospects for what they wanted, keeping uh, Assad in-, in power. And the um, uh, you know this missile launch is really significant, and yet you see how much coverage did it get, how much attention is paid to it, paid to it. How much do we really look at what's happening with Russian flights? You know, they did 88 sorties in, in uh, well, I think it was on Wednesday, 33 on Thursday, and the scores yesterday. At ISIS targets, you mean? At, well, some of them ISIS, a lot of it is rebel targets. Mm. And, uh, you know, the idea that foreign troops are being intrudes, whether Iraqi and Cuban and certainly Russian, you saw that a key uh, Iranian general was killed there, two key Hezbollah leaders, and not enough, but... We're, we're killed, <laughs> and uh, and the open declarations of kill one for one, you know, in retaliation. It, it is just such a distortion of reality today, that the, and, and an unwillingness to face uh, what are really glo- uh, challenges that could be so significant for long periods of time. So, but Israel gets bashed and gets gets becomes a focus of all of these statements rather than standing up with an, a democratic ally and saying you have a right to defend itself, which the United States says that it, each time that Israel, Israelis have a right to defend themselves, etc. But the world doesn't really accord Israel that right. 
Did you... yet we're, we're turning a blind eye to people who are undermining the future of the region. Iran <laughs> is challenging Saudi Arabia now. They're using the Hajj uh, incident where, you know, I don't know, a thousand people were killed, whatever, maybe instigated by Iran. And they're saying they don't have a right to, to control these. We should set up an international commission. And, you know, it's not beyond reason that, that this will escalate the tension between Saudi Arabia and Iran that is now being played on in a proxy war in Yemen. Right. You made me laugh for a second because uh, you, you talk about the reaction of what Israel's doing as compared to the rest of the world. There's a, a, there was a, an article this week, which we pointed out earlier in the week, um, that had a uh, the the uh, had, had the headline was it was an Isabel Kirshner article in the New York Times stabbings and deadly responses add to Israel's security challenge but the subtitle of the article was critics argue that too tough a reaction only pours gasoline on the bonfire inspiring more attacks and protests that sometimes escalate into deadly clashes and this is the point I was trying to make earlier in terms of how the NYPD might respond this is absurdity. That one thinks that too tough a reaction is is the wrong way to deal with the situation. Well, you have uh, you know funerals become the focal point for escalating violence and you know rage and and uh, wild protests. That's why Israel does not release the bodies now of the killers, which is a smart move. It got some protests in Western countries were oh outraged that they wouldn't return the bodies. But when you know that that's only going to lead to more violence and sometimes. You know, when, when uh, terrorists are killed, their bodies are returned at night, and the funeral has to pay, take place at night so that you don't become a, it doesn't become a rallying point during the day. But look at the families, the, the sites of, of Palestinians and others who were killed. Uh, they, they, they set up these tents, you know, and they have big celebrations, and they're honored, and they're, they're called martyrs, and they, they extol them, the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian media, but the, the people, too, they... they, they extol them these as, as martyrs of the Palestinian people as if they died in some holy cause rather than people going out and committing yeah. wanton acts of, of violence. Sorry for bouncing around, but, then, but, but just back to the Afghanistan point for a minute. So with the, with the uh, rise of the Taliban or the continued growth and al-Qaeda and, the, uh, and obviously ISIS, etc., is it sort of like the United States just can't just can't afford to leave the neighborhood at this point? Is that is that essentially what it is? That it's not just the immediate Afghanistan situation. There's so much going on in that region that the U.S. would look weak to, to leave at this point. Well, the U.S., unfortunately, the West looks weak because we're not engaged enough. You see that Putin is eating our lunch because he stepped in to avoid. We should have been doing more in, in Syria, and it doesn't mean boots on the ground. But it, there are many things that that, um, that could be done, and now Putin comes in, and it may be a quagmire for him ultimately. But for now, at least, he is seen, and and because of it, drawing uh, closer alliances with with countries both in the region and other places. Say, look, this guy at least stands up for his friends. This guy is willing to put uh, himself on the line for yeah. it. Whereas they see that the West has has stepped back from uh, a lot of these commitments, and we're just supporting other groups who are often turning out to be, to be working against us. So the, the question of the United States is, as a superpower in the world has a responsibility, and it doesn't mean that you commit troops. It doesn't mean that people will say now the war in Iraq was a mistake, but certainly that we're not tough enough on Iran is a mistake and will prove in the future it had been a bigger mistake. The, um, and the, the situation on the ground that countries 
uh, like uh, the UAE now, is going to push for the right to enrich. Because they're saying, look, we see we're being left behind, that you're letting Iran is violating the agreement. They're moving ahead with enrichment. So they're not going to be left behind. Saudi Arabia won't be left behind. So mm-hmm. we're going to have the nuclear race that we were all afraid of happening now. But more importantly, on the, on the, the, the security front, why did Saudi Arabia have to attack the Houthis? Because nobody was doing anything about Yemen. And so they said, you know, we're just going to go in. They didn't do a good job. They weren't prepared properly, but they responded to it. And it's an issue, you know, we raised many times with, the, with our government, with other governments, and even the issue of foreign fighters. When there were three or four hundred, we raised it because people there in Syria opposition warned us about it. And, you know, the West and America, too, have, have allowed a vacuum to be created. And when we turned uh, our guns away from Syria after they used the chemical weapons, that was a big turning point. Never thought of that in terms of the importance of being engaged in important situations. Otherwise, someone else comes in and fills the void. Are there still Jews in Yemen? I've asked you this before. Are there still Jews in Yemen? A few. They could leave. They don't leave. Now they're being told to convert or leave by some of the, the by the Houthis whose, whose banners. So those reports are true. I, n- I never know what to believe when I see that's, these stories pop up. People should be very careful what they respond to, react to. And the people who take credit for rescuing people do all sorts of things about the situation there. There are people in touch with them. They could have left. They could leave. And they don't. It's their choice. But, you know, they can't just believe that at any time they could be rescued. Did it bother you that uh, foreign policy vis-a-vis Israel was not really a factor in the Democratic debate this week? That foreign policy period was not an issue. And uh, the only one who mentioned Israel was, uh, was Webb. Uh, and, and a passing reference, and a positive one, but a passing reference. Uh, was I surprised? Yes, I thought that the Middle East and foreign policy would play a role. It may be that they will do that at the second uh, debate. I think the first Republican debate also didn't yeah, focus heavily on foreign policy. But it tells you where the American people are at, where, where their heads are at. Yeah. They're not focused on, on those issues. It's the economy, you know, it's the, these other issues that, uh, that come up. Uh, but foreign policy, people should not think of this as being a peripheral or, a, you know, a secondary issue. It, it's a core issue today. It's about our security. It's about the, where the world is headed. And, you know, I was surprised. But they weren't asked questions about it. Even. Right. Yeah. That they didn't do it. <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't a factor. It was not a part of the whole game. Um, people are reacting, some might say overreacting, to what seems to be a policy that if a terrorist is in a life-threatening situation, and there are others who might be of Jewish background who are not, that often paramedics and maybe hospital medical personnel will treat the terrorists first. Is there a good answer to this quandary when, the, when, when a variety of people are in a hospital in desperate medical situations? Well, right now there's an investigation about the clinic, an Arab clinic in, in Jerusalem, which it seems did not treat the Jewish victims, but treated the uh, perpetrators, and the victims died because of it. That's an investigation that's going on. I don't know. I'm, I'm not asserting that it's true. I'm saying this is what the accusation is. Look, triage is always a problem in, in situations like this, and you, all human life counts. But I think that when it comes to a choice between uh, a terrorist treating a terrorist and treating someone else, if, if that their wounds are not life-threatening, and I guess you have an obligation, but it's a decision you make on the spot. 
Uh, there was discussion about the trip that Mayor de Blasio of New York is taking to Israel and who he is and is not meeting with there. Were you consulted at all on that in terms of who he should or should not meet with? No, he did not ask me who he should and shouldn't meet with, but he is not meeting with Palestinian officials, as some have asserted. He is meeting with children in a mixed uh, Jewish-Arab school, uh, which I think is a smart uh, alternative. Understood. And... Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see any of these. I hope you have. Uh, one of the benefits of social media and all these videos that uh, proliferate uh, all over the Internet um, is that, well, number one, I guess some might call this a benefit. We get to see the news as it happens. I mean, in some cases, it was really brutal and grueling uh, to watch our brothers and sisters uh, get stabbed and uh, be rammed into at bus stops uh, during those videos during those videos this week. But I'm referring to the other videos, the ones uh, taken outside of Tachan Amerikazit, the central bus station, where within an hour after the stabbing of a 70-year-old woman by the enemy, uh, young people and older people broke into uh, Hatikva and Am Yisrael Chai and Al-Tira, and then buses that are breaking out in spontaneous song of Am Yisrael Chai. I hope you've had an opportunity to see those, and I hope you were reminded about how different the Jewish people can be and in many cases are. Absolutely. I think it's, it's the, the resilience of the Israeli people, it, it's unprecedented, it's unparalleled. And it shows that the, the commitment and that the people who say the Zionist spirit is dead, the commitment to Israel, it isn't true. And you see it in young people who volunteer in overwhelming numbers, including religious young people, for the most dangerous assignments in the Israeli army, many more than they can take, that the, uh, the people of Israel is in Netzach Israel, and you see that, that, uh, uh, that these demonstrations are of the spirit of the w- willingness to overcome and not to succumb. I'm not saying they're not afraid. Israelis are, were afraid. People didn't go out, and that was the right thing to do. That right. they, they, you know, they didn't challenge the thing to, to go out with bravado and, and tempt uh, fate. But I think you're absolutely right. People shouldn't just look at the stabbings. They should look at some of these videos, too. Pretty amazing. Uh, finally, there will not be a unity government, right? There's a, there was a proposal last week. Benjamin Netanyahu expressed publicly that he would want it, but it looks like it will not happen, correct? Right now, it doesn't look like it will happen, especially because the leader of the opposition is in America right now. So <laughs> <laughs> no, he's probably not going to negotiate from here. But the uh, no, that, I don't think uh, that that is doesn't appear to be any thing and right now when he's under political pressure so they won't throw him a, a lifeline um, but I, I do think by the way that the that mr Ertag has been responsible uh, has been a responsible leader he has uh, you know supported the government whether it was on the Iran issue and certainly now uh, they can be critical of, of uh, what steps were taken but the but generally the, the people of Israel are united and remember the, you know they face an enemy the the Polls that show that 60% of Palestinians say the goal in five years is to eliminate the Jewish state. We see the attempts, you know, that they buy into the lies about the, the existence of the temples and that then supported by the New York Times and NPR and, and others who, whose coverage is so beyond outrage. Yep. It, it's almost incomprehensible to, to see this. And, you know, Martin, uh, Mark Twain once said, if you don't read a newspaper, you're ill-informed. If you read one, you're misinformed. <laughs> it has never been more true than today. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, a Sabbath of solidarity, a solidarity Shabbos, as coordinated by the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. Kolakavot, everybody across the board, religiously and politically, who are ready to 
keep in mind and be inspired by our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land this coming Shabbos. Malcolm, we thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Good Shabbos, and people, to keep up to date, should read dailyalert.org in addition to the Jewish World Review websites. People have to stay on top of the information because there's so much misinformation and, and uh, there are details that are really important in this that, that people should stay on top of it. Now. No question. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Friday, 740 here at JM in the AM.